My name is Davey Knowles, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hey, this is Patrick from Station, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. All right, Pittsburgh! You are the best! You got the best! Hello and welcome to episode 470 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 470, we are joined by three special guests, two of which are on their way to Pittsburgh as we speak. Uh, the first up, uh, Davey Knowles, who was uh, many of you remember with Backdoor Slam. He's a guitarist, a singer. Uh, is going to be doing a show at Jurgles on the 12th of October. And has a new album out called What Happens Next. So we're going to talk to him about that album. Also joining us, Jake Shima Bukuro, uh, one of the uh, world foremost ukulele players. Or as we in the United States, kind of the mainland, call it the ukulele. But the ukulele is, is the pronunciation that he educated me on. So I will call it that. Uh, he has a new album called Jake and Friends, which will be available very soon. And that'll be, I think, November 12th, if memory serves me correct. And then on the 11th of October, he'll be doing a show at the Oaks Theater. So I wanted to give you a chance to listen and hear what his music's all about. And then finally joining us, Patrick, from a fantastic band out of New York City called Station, who will be releasing a new album later on this week. Unfortunately, Station is not on their way to Pittsburgh yet, but I'm sure we'll get them in town uh, soon. So... Without further ado, we're going to turn it over to the amazing Davey Knowles. Had a chance to catch him with Backdoor Slam many, many years ago. We had a kind of fun discussion off mic about when that was because I could not find the gig listed anywhere on the internet, but uh, had a chance to see them uh, live once and was really, really s- impressed with the band. Uh, he's, you know, they went through some lineup issues, uh, had a member pass away, and then finally he kind of went in a solo direction. Uh, but has a fantastic new record coming out on the 22nd of October. Catch him on the 12th. So without further ado, Mr. David Knowles. I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing wonderful. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat. Uh, you've got a new album coming out here in it's a little over a month away. What happens next? And you'll be doing a show um, actually inside of that on the 12th at Jurgles in Warrendale. Um, so first off, um, the, the new album, was it something you had kind of had in the works prior to you know, the kind of global lockdown, or, or is this something that you had the time, so you just made the best of it? 
Well, no, it was it was something that we'd had planned before um, the pandemic uh, hit. Um, we were actually due to go and record it. Um, we had some touring leading out to the studio in California um, in March of 2020, and obviously uh, things started to shut down pretty rapidly around that time. So we turned the the bus home and uh, and waited it out uh, for a few months and. So we felt, you know, a little bit comfortable with uh, what we were dealing with. And so we went in and, and recorded it a few months later. So the um, so you had a lot of the material ready to go. Um, did you have to, were, did you go home to the Isle, you're originally from the Isle of Man. Were you, were you there during the quarantine or, or were you have a kind of adopted home? No, I, I have an adopted home. I live in Chicago. I've been here for over a decade now. Okay. Um, this is this is our uh, our base. Yeah, certainly a little less cut off than you probably would have been in the middle of the sea. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. The Isle of Man is still uh, on a very strict uh, kind of lockdown um, sure. situation there. Yeah, not quite as a little more uh, lockdown than say, say Chicago would be. Um, the the material itself yeah. were these songs you had had. Uh, you had an album in twenty seventeen. Um, do you kind of write along the way, or are you a person who who says, okay, I'm gonna, I, I'm going to carve out these two months in my schedule of touring, and I'm going to go make an album? Are you one of those people that can kind of write on demand, or is it just inspiration that hits you and jot down things as you're on the road? I, I have to uh, I have to keep a lot of stuff on the burner always. Um, I find it really hard to write for a particular project. I mm-hmm. kind of try and write as, as constantly as I can and collect stuff. And then I kind of sift through it to see what sounds cohesive, to see what kind of sounds like it might belong together mm-hmm. um, for a project. So I, I kind of have to work things that way. I noticed when I listened to this album, and, and I had listened to, to Roll Away, um, your debut album, almost in succession, <laughs> just to kind of get in the in the mood. Um this album to me seems like there's a lot more introspection, um, you know, perhaps because the last song was If I Ever Met My Maker, which obviously seems maybe it's autobiographical, maybe it's, uh, you know, about somebody else. But it seems like there's a lot more introspection on this album. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's 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 nearly entirely uh, the album is nearly entirely autobiographical. I mean, um, uh, kind of hit a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a theme with my writing, or, or maybe just gathered a little bit of courage to mm. to write about myself a bit more, my own experiences rather than um, trying to trying to put myself in other people's shoes. So sure. so it was, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a more uh, a more personal record in general. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, kind of exactly where I was going, and, and I had listened. Um, you know, Twitter and thought, you know, over the time, do, do you kind of, I, I know when you came out, obviously the, the name of your first band was related to a Robert Gray song and there were a lot of great influences, you know, in the blues, but this one feels, I don't want to say less blues, but it's got a little more influence from other uh, types of music in it, maybe than early backdoor mm-hmm. slam material. Is that just something as, as you mature as a musician, your tastes change or, or how, how do you attribute that? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. As, as I've gotten older, I've, I think I've been kind of become a little bit more open-minded, uh, a little bit more eclectic in my music taste, a little bit more 
are willing to let other stuff creep in, less of a purist. And, and you know, I've always been a fan of, of things outside of the blues. Um, but maybe in my younger days, they were more closely linked. You know, if I wasn't listening to blues, I was listening to classic rock. You know, right. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, big um, departure. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I feel like, yeah, I, 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 um, I certainly, I, I mean, I've been listening to soul music for a long time, and I've been a massive fan, but never been really brave enough, or, or um, I've never really kind of written in that style, and there are definitely a couple of songs on the new record where mm-hmm. I really wanted to try it, because I'm such a big fan of it, and I, I really wanted to um, to kind of incorporate a little bit of that into it. And if I ever meet my maker, I, I grew up listening to English folk music. My dad was a big folk music fan. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was kind of it's a tribute to him and and to my uh, to my young family that I have now and um it written I wanted to write that in a folk music kind of style um so so yeah I I I try to I try to be a little bit more eclectic a bit more open minded yeah and and you could that's one of the things I love about that particular track is it really it jumps off the page as you're really pouring your heart uh, out for the listener in, uh, in, in not in a misery kind of way, you know, like you think of maybe, you know, like Robert Johnson cool. was pouring his heart up, but I mean, it's, it's extremely personal in the lyrics and, and uh, I think it helps the listener get inside your mind uh, very well. I, I was thinking about this when I was listening to your album and I had not long before I listened to John Mayer's album, which is obviously usually chart success and he, he's always been quite popular, but, um, do you do you think about it when when you're making music? Does it enter in? You know, uh, you know, we know you can grind the blues and you know, turn the amps up to eleven and do that kind of music. But is sometimes, do you think about trends in music at all when you're doing work or or here's something that might appeal to a broader audience? Does that enter in at this point in your career, or, or you just kind of do what you do? Um. I think um, in the writing aspect of it, in the actual songwriting, I think it would be a mistake to think of trends and, mm-hmm. hey, is this, you know, I think it's just important to follow whatever idea you have to the best of your ability and right. come out of it proud, you know, and, and I sure. think that's that's the only um, the only approach to songwriting. When, when it comes to actually recording, though, you know, in, in perfectly honest terms, um yeah, I guess you do a little bit. You do think of it in a, from a production standpoint. You you want your songs best represented, but you sure. also um, want them to be accessible too. You you, yeah. you know, and um, you don't want them just to be. I don't know. I I would love to have recorded in the seventies, right? To tape where everything was you know live and and mistakes made it to the cut, and that yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I love that approach, but but these days I don't think a modern listener, particularly, and I'm talking about folks that didn't grow up with that music. Mm-hmm. Um, modern listeners, really, their ears are different now, so everything has to be a, a kind of a lot more, not rigid, but 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 uh, exact and a, a little bit more. Um, I know, not quite as. Uh, the, the, what I'm trying to say is the modern listener is probably not quite as forgiving. Um, yeah. And so you, you do have to think in those terms a little bit just to just for the sake of competitiveness, I guess. Yeah. Tr- truly, honestly speaking. 
Yeah, and it it is it, it's almost refreshing to hear a, a musician acknowledge the competitive nature of it because in a way it is you know if I'm gonna drop down thirty bucks on a on a vinyl record who am I gonna put it on you know and and what fits the tastes yeah. and styles that, that people are into does that, when you look at that though beyond just mistakes does it play a role in the arrangement like let's say for example you want to add you know some organ or, or keys or, or even just the tone of your guitar. I mean, you mm. have a lot of tools at your disposal. Um, does that factor in, like, you know, maybe I need to turn the gain down a little bit here or up a little bit here, um, you know, where when you're 18 sure. making a record, you know, you just want to go on 11, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. And, yeah, with the arrangements, you know, um, uh, this is the wonderful kind of difference between being in a studio versus being on stage live. Is on stage you have this opportunity once, right? Yeah. You you it, you play it and then it's gone forever, pretty much. Sure. Um, you know you you've got the next night, but for that audience, you try and make it unique and you try and make it different every night, and that keeps things exciting for you on stage, and and hopefully that spontaneity kind of comes through and um, makes it enjoyable for the audience too. So so. When you're thinking about a live show versus a studio, in the studio you have something that hopefully is going to outlive you. And you have to be quite deliberate and quite careful about that. And um, sometimes it's not the right place to go off on one at 11 for 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, you might really feel it on a particular night, and and that's what happens, and that what goes, and the audience goes with you, and it's magic. But... That's the magic of a spontaneous live show. I think when you're recording, it does serve you well to to be a little bit more restrained. Yeah, yeah. And, Doesn't and, mean the energy isn't there. Just just careful. And some of it, I imagine, has to be the ebb and flow that you naturally want in your tracks across an album. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't want to take a listener from, you know, 120 miles an hour on on 11 for. 55 minutes on your album with no peaks and valleys because sometimes that can you know after about song five it all kind of sounds the same if you don't you know mix it up uh, one track in particular that that kind of jumped off the page at me um and, and i have to ask is kind of the guitar geek wake me up when the nightmare is over um when mm. i heard your guitar I, my head just kind of pivoted even though i you know i'm listening to it digitally i'm not even sure what i was looking at but it almost hit me the way you know the intro to lonely is the night from billy squire hit me where it was like what is he doing there why oh. does it sound so perfect can can you walk me through what oh. you were playing and, and on at the time that was just it sounds so magical you're so kind um uh, the guitar is um a prs vela uh, it's it's a Paul Reed Smith guitar. Mm -hmm. They're not. It's not one of the really really expensive ones. I think they're they're. You can get them second hand around a, a grand something like okay. that. Still a lot of money, but it's but it's uh, it's a really you know accessible instrument. And I adore it. I think it's a really underrated guitar. Uh, so is that. Um, I think I was going through an old Fender basement, one of the the um, the sixties black heads. Sure. Um, I think I think that was pretty much it, and then just just kind of turned that up. Yeah. Um, but I was really happy with with the sounds that we got for sure. It, it, um, yeah, that one. It's that, it's that kind of rhythm, dirty but not kind of sound. Yeah, it, it's it's dirty, but it's almost 
in a way so pristine sounding in its dirtiness, if that makes any sense. But I'm sure to somebody you'll get where my head's <laughs> yeah. going on that. But it, it just sounded so good. Um, well, you. as I mentioned, you're going out on the road in a little over a week uh, now to do a string of dates. Are you able to kind of pull these songs into the set list? Or are you a, a new album heavy kind of guy? Or do you just sprinkle in a two or three? Oh, no, no. We, we're, we're playing, um, gosh, um, I think I think there were six or eight of these um, in the set list. And, and we do like to change the set list around. But, but yeah, we, we're excited to play these. I mean, like I said, we recorded this album last year. So, you know, we've been kind of chomping at the bit to play these songs for, for, for a year. Um, so we're excited to play them. You know, it doesn't mean that we'll, you know, totally ignore the old stuff, but um, yeah, we, we definitely want to concentrate on a on a new, on love, the new stuff. Yeah, love to hear that when when an al- album and an artist is able to 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 say, okay, you know, we're going to go for it. We're going to play you a nice chunk or or you know the bulk of a new album because um, I think it really keeps it yeah. fun for the audience. And it's got to be fun as a musician to kind of not just play the same fifteen songs year after year after year uh, for yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. The um. The uh, during the, the pandemic, you kind of revisited a lot of your older material, um, you know, w- with live events online and things like that. Was that something that that you enjoyed, kind of going back through your catalog like that and, and revisiting those those albums? Oh yeah, it really was, and, and um, I, I kind of did it mainly for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm not very good at saying still and. Um, I needed something to do. I needed a project to work on, and and it was a, a I mean, a, I think a pretty reflective time for a lot of people. You know, when you when your wings clip, you know, you've been grounded. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed the time because I I don't know. I guess I haven't really stopped since that first record much. And yeah. So to go back and put myself in in the headspace of those different albums, what was going on, and. Um, and what was going on when I wrote some of those songs, you know, that some of them are coming up on, you know, 15, 20 years old, some of them. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, it, w- it was really quite quite therapeutic, you know, a bit cathartic in, at times. I really enjoyed it. Were, were there songs when you went back and you, you maybe hadn't played since that album was released or or maybe not at all that you had to kind of go back and go you know what, what was i playing or dare i say google and Please. see if somebody else tabbed out your song for you <laughs> i didn't go that far um but yeah i definitely had to relearn some stuff for sure there were there were a couple of songs off of the, the second album that we'd never played um since recording them you know we just didn't bring them out on the road for I don't know why, and and we um, yeah. So when I went back to look at them, I thought, actually, hang on, I really like this song. Why haven't I been doing? You know, kind of you rediscover bits, which is which is really I don't know, it feels nice. It's exciting. Was there any song in particular that that, that kind of jumped out at you in that vein, where you said, you know, you know, why hasn't this song been a staple in the set for since I wrote it? It's so awesome, or or maybe one that you you. you kind of look back and go oh i wasn't i'm not so sure i like this one anymore (laughs) does that happen yeah oh yeah um there was a song from coming up for air the second album that i wrote with um i was lucky enough to write with peter frampton oh it's called uh you can't take this back and um 
I don't know why we never played it live. Um, it's so silly, and, and um, I really loved it. I really loved kind of um, getting myself back in that moment, and, and it was all written on an acoustic guitar, so to go back and rearrange it, it was just like going back to how it was written. It was yeah. lovely. And then there are definitely songs where you look back and you go, I could have done a lot better there. But but I feel like also, you know, an album and a, a recording is really a stamp in, in time of yeah, where absolutely. you're at. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think if, if you think too much about it, then you'll never get anything done, will you? So it's... Um, yeah, it's kind of fun, fun when you think of that to, to kind of go back in and do that. You know, in, a, in in this way, it was kind of a you know Taylor Swift type of thing where you're going back, going through those old albums and kind of putting a, a new spin on them, which is really cool for the fans. So, again, you are going to be heading out. You'll be all over the United States. You'll be here in uh, the Pittsburgh area on the 12th. The new album, What Happens Next, highly, highly recommended by yours truly. Uh, that's out on the 22nd of October. I know on your website you've got a pre-order and a signed pre-order and stuff so folks can get it there. Um, will you be selling the new album at the shows yet, or, or do we have to wait for the street date? Nah, you know, I think we'll probably have a, a sneaky box or two of, of right. CD uh, okay. at the merch booth. Excellent. Well, Davey, I want to thank you so much. I wish you a very safe travel. Stay healthy and safe, uh, and we will see you in just a little bit thank over you. a month, man looking forward to it thank you so much for having me again a big thank you to davy knowles he'll be in pittsburgh on the 12th of october to do a show at jurgle's new album october 22nd speaking of people on their way to pittsburgh with new albums jake shima bukuro will be the oaks theater on the 11th of october uh he has a new album called jake and friends coming out november 12th and by friends i mean the likes of Trying to remember these all. Kenny Loggins, Warren Haynes, Bette Mittler, Willie Nelson, Lucas Nelson. I think you get the idea. The man has very impressive friends. Um, really, if you look up, and I am not joking, if you Google best ukulele players, Jake's name comes very, very high on that list. Um, I had a chance to, to kind of got introduced to him on his album Trio which is a bit more, uh, I would say, jazz, rock, progressive almost, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, reminded me almost of a band, Scala Summit, in the respects, not a, or certainly not a hard rock metal band, but uh, just the, the its approach to the instrument is so fascinating to me. So I wanted to give you all a chance to, to learn about his music, maybe uh, see if it catches your interest and head on out to the show. So without further ado, do Jake Shima Bukuro. Jake Shimabakura. How are you doing today, Jake? 
Hey, aloha, John. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. You're going to be coming in to do a show on October 11th to the Oak Theater here in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and you've got a new record coming out, um, kind of an amazing collection of of uh, musicians you've dubbed friends. Uh, which, when I looked out through the list of who's on it, like this guy is is got some great friends. I can imagine what your Christmas card list <laughs> must look like. Um, can you talk a little bit of, about the album itself? I mean, you've got the likes of Jimmy Buffett, who I know I've seen his name associated with yours before, Willie Nelson, Bette Midler, I mean, Warren Haynes, just kind of all over the map. How do you go about coordinating something like that in, in these times, especially, you know, where you can't just fly everybody into a studio and... Yeah, it's it was, um, you know, I mean, it, we've been working on this project for a little over three three years now, and um, and it was uh, at first, you know, it was just a conversation that I had with my manager, and and uh, he brought up the idea, and in the back of my mind, I was like, oh yeah, sounds good, but in the back of my head, I was like, now nah, that that ain't never gonna happen, you know? sure. So, but uh, but we were so fortunate, you know. Uh, Willie Nelson was the first to jump on board, and I um, well actually I should say Ray Benson was the first to jump on board from Asleep at the Wheel, and he mm-hmm. agreed to co-produce the record with me. First phone call he made was to Willie Nelson. Two months later, we were in the studio recording Stardust, you know. So, and once uh, once Willie Nelson finished his track, then you know it just gave the album a lot of momentum and yeah. credibility and. I just, I'm just so honored, and I'm so grateful that, you know, all these incredible artists whom I've admired, you know, over the years, just took the time, you know, to support this project, and um, yeah, and I'm just really proud of it, and I'm, um, and it was one of the, the scariest thing, I, I, one of the scariest projects I ever had to do, you know, sitting right there in the studio with a lot of these, yeah. with all these artists was uh, not not. Um, <laughs> was not not an easy task. I mean, they're it's so intimidating, but you know, it was just a great experience, and everyone was so supportive. Jake, were you able to get in, like, with with everyone into the studio, or did you have to do a little file swapping? I mean, I know in this stage of technology, you can collaborate with anybody on anywhere in the world with file sharing, but were you able to get into the studio with most of these folks? Yeah, majority of them. We were all in the studio, and they were they were all live takes. You know, the uh, there was only a couple that that we had to do overseas. Like for example, uh, Ziggy Marley's mm-hmm. track and um, and John Anderson's track. You know, we kind of had to work remotely. So I'd be in the studio. Um, uh, you know, I think for John Anderson's, I was in this. I was in L.A. and I think he was he was on tour. That's why. And same with uh, with Ziggy. I was in Hawaii. And he was in a studio uh, somewhere on the mainland, and so we, we would just pass tracks back and forth, you know. And it's amazing what you can do, right, with technology. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's, um, you know, so it was it was great with all the other artists. You know, I tried to make it as as easy for them as possible. So I flew to wherever they were, so okay. whether it was New York or you know uh, North Carolina, L.A., Nashville, you know, wherever it was. That's where I, I would I would fly to them and we'd uh, just hang out in the studio you know for for a few hours and then play play a figure out a song that we were going to play and 
and just uh, take a couple passes at it. And that was just kind of the vibe of the record. It just, I just wanted it to feel very casual, very like, you know, just, um, uh, I don't know, just have that really, like we're just, we're just hanging out at, in, in someone's living room, you know, mm-hmm. just playing. And, and I yeah. think that, that every track really captured that, that vibe. Yeah, I, th- I think as well, you know, it's it certainly, I love the, the dichotomy in the musical style. And I was thinking, as you were mentioning, you, you flew to, to people's areas to make, you know, make it easier for them. And I'm thinking, you know, if you'd maybe put out something that said, I'll fly you to Hawaii, you might have got a whole different crop of people to take yeah. you up on, a, <laughs> come to an island paradise. And, well, and, well, well. <laughs> I, I will say there were uh, a lot of tracks were recorded in, in Hawaii, you know, like Billy Strings, uh, Will, the Willie Nelson track was recorded in Hawaii because he happened to be on Maui. So um, I flew out to Maui because I, I live on Oahu and, you know, it's like a 20-minute plane ride. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Michael McDonald was also in Hawaii. Um, Jack Johnson, of course. You know, he lives he lives uh, in Hawaii. So that was that was really easy. But, yeah, I would say at least four or five of the tracks, you know, were yeah. recorded in, in Hawaii. I can so, see yeah. the, uh, the appeal there. Now, as, as a uh, – maybe I should ask you this question. This is something that's always kind of plagued me. The pronunciation, the proper pronunciation of the instrument. I've heard ukulele, ukulele. How do you, one of the foremost players in the world, pronounce the instrument? Well, the way that I was taught, you know, uh, because it is actually made up of two uh, Hawaiian words, and the, the first being uku, which means flea, and the second part of the word is lele. So the the correct pronunciation is ukulele, ukulele. Okay, so it wasn't even close. Yeah, that. <laughs> but you know, so that that's that's how um, you know that's how we grew up saying it here in Hawaii, and and uh, yeah, and you know, but I think you know, but I I don't I I think there you know in I mean here as well sometimes you know it has been called the the uke for short, sure. and I've seen it. U-K-E, which which is kind of like a shortened version of it version of it, but but when you once you say uke, you know it, it's kind of it's it's not a Hawaiian it's not a native Hawaiian word anymore, right? And so I think I think like you know decades ago when people would would call it uke, you go I play the uke, or mm-hmm. you know I think that became ukulele, right? Or ukulele, or however. So I, I think that's what led to that that pronunciation of the Y sound rather than the U sound. Right. Did you was it something you played? You know, as as a young musician, I, I realized kind of in in doing a little more homework, the tuning is, is roughly based on something you can do with a guitar if you you know with a capo. But was it something that you, because your your playing doesn't to me seem I guess maybe the stereotype of what I expect to hear from someone playing. You know, it, it's got a little more, dare I say, guitar playing in it. Was it your first instrument? Yeah. So um, the uh, well, first of all, the yeah, the tuning is um, in in traditional tuning. It's a little different because the 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 your highest string is of course your first string or the mm-hmm. string that's closest to the ground and as you go up to the next string it drops down to an so it starts at an A then it drops down to an E then it drops down to a C but then when it goes up to the fourth string it actually jumps up to a high G 
Okay. So it's it's interesting because most stringed instruments, right? You have your highest string uh, on the on you know closest to the floor, and your lowest string is closest to your your chin. But that's not the case with the ukulele. Your two high strings are actually on the outside, and then the the two low strings are actually in the in the middle. Okay. So if you were to start, if you would to start like a, an ascending scale, you would actually from low to high, you would actually start on the third string okay. as your lowest note. So it's a it's a little different, you know, in in that sense. But what I like about it is, you know, you can get very unique voicings with, uh, you know, with with your your chord your chord positions and things mm-hmm. like that, and um, and so it, it it has a and that's what gives it its unique sound uh, to to me, you know. And so so if you were to compare it to the guitar tuning, if you were to take a capo and capo the fifth fret of the guitar. Then your first string, second string, and third string would be the same, but your fourth string would actually be up an octave. Okay. So instead of is yeah, so it's it's kind of um so that's the part that I think that kind of uh, throws guitar players you know when they grab an ukulele that's tuned in traditional tuning, but there there is a more modern uh, tuning that that people have used you know over the last few decades, and you you'll hear it like on that Over the Rainbow version where Israel Kamaka Vivole does that beautiful ukulele uh, vocal version of Over the Rainbow. But that is um, a more modern tuning. And what it is, is instead of the fourth string being an octave higher, it is actually, you know, uh, an octave lower. So so it's exactly like if you were to yeah. keep the fifth fret, the, 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 the first, second, third, fourth. Would be, yeah. So yeah, so it gives you know, so you get a little bit more range because now instead of instead of the third string, which is the C note being your lowest note, now your lowest note is the fourth string, which is a low G. So you mm-hmm. actually have a a fourth below the C. Do you play in different tunings, or is that you kind of stick in the more traditional? Yeah, I've all I've always stuck in the more traditional tuning. Um, is it and. I guess for me the the reason is well I guess that that's how I learned it and I and I I like I like the um that tuning because it's it's a unique sound yeah once you once you get into the the low fourth string then the voicings become very similar to I mean become exactly like guitar voicings and which is great too I mean because it's 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 a it's a fantastic sound. I mean, it's a tried and true sound, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but I, I I like the uniqueness of that. They call it a re-entrant tuning. You know, where where you um where uh, you have a, a high string and then it drops down to low and then gets high again. So yeah, that's, um, I I don't know. That's yeah, almost it, kind it, of mind blowing. Uh, you know, decades of playing the guitar to try to conceive not having the strings from lowest to high or highest low, depending on which way you're looking at. To throw it in like that, it's a, it's a, can be an intimidating instrument to pick up. You know, for a guitarist, it looks like a little mini guitar. You pick it up and you're like, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Everything just feels <laughs> so different. But you know, yeah. when I listen to your yeah. playing, it it's, it has, you know, you do a lot of. Um, you know the voicings you do of the chords is just so interesting. I think that's I think what makes it so compelling is it's it's so different in that respect. And and I think it also makes it easier to play. You know because when you have that high fourth string and your lowest note is is just the third string, which is like middle C on the piano. 
you know, you don't have any strings or any notes on the ukulele that function as bass tones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're playing the ukulele, you're free to just jump all around because, you know, like when you're playing piano or guitar where you have notes that are that fall in the bass register, mm -hmm. you know, they have to resolve a certain way or, you know, because they, they kind of, the lower tones function differently, right? So, so, uh, so the nice thing about have not having that anything below middle C is everything can everything is like a like a top voicing, you know, and and uh, and it's it's really nice. All your notes are melodic notes notes rather than foundational or or bass notes, right? So right. that's um, that's kind of a unique thing as well. When when you hit the road, um, you've made an amazing collection to the Jake and Friends album with 16 just amazing songs. And I realize you have quite a catalog of, of albums before, but I'm, I'm assuming you'd want to incorporate some of these songs into your set. But how do you kind of fill in the roles in that case of, of the, the special guests? Like I'm, I listened to just an absolutely breathtaking song on the road to freedom with Warren Haynes and think, okay, you're not going to be able to take Warren out on the road with you. Um, Although Warren, the yeah. odds on him being in the same city you are every night is good because he's constantly on the road. But um, do you yeah. try to tackle some of these songs live? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I I have been playing a couple songs from the record live as instrumentals, and I kind of make a joke about it. You know, like for example, if I play something, then I, I may say like, oh, you know, yeah, you know something came up and Vince and Amy couldn't be <laughs> you know so I'm just gonna play my ukulele part but you know so I'll, I'll do a, an instrumental version of it but you know but we were um, but I, I think every once in a while you know uh, if, if, if the, the stars line up correctly like um, like uh, what was it two three weeks ago we were in um, where were we playing I think we were in North Carolina or um, yeah, so, somewhere, somewhere there, we were around that area, and um, and uh, um, we had Jesse Jesse Colin Young happened to be in the area, so he reached out, and so we said, hey, you want to come and and play, you know? And he was like, yeah. So he actually came out, and you know, and we did um, everybody get to get you know get together, and mm -hmm. you know, so I so I, I I'm I'm hoping for little moments like that, you know, like if we do a show and. If Jack Johnson's in town, like, hey man, you know, come and let's do something, or because most of the artists, um, most of the artists that are on the record, you know, we've we've performed before. You know, obviously I've done stuff with Jimmy and and you know Bet and Jack and and even Warren Haynes. You know, we the the first time I met him, he invited me to do his Christmas jam with him. Hmm. So that's how we first met. Um, and, uh, you know, so so hopefully, you know, if if, um, if it does work out, you know, moving forward, um, if if one of those artists happen to be in the area and they feel like coming out and, you know, we could always uh, do a little surprise special guest sure. kind of thing. And then in the and then in the um, wintertime, we're actually bringing a, a good friend of mine out uh, from Hawaii. His name is Thunderstorm Artis. He's a wonderful uh singer songwriter and he was featured on the voice um this last season i think he, he was a four-chair turn made it all the way to the finals but he's going to come out with us and we're going to be doing like a little holiday tour so okay. he'll be singing some christmas songs as well as some songs from the new record so. oh, that'll be fun so that should be that should be fun yeah was there anyone in particular in in 
the you know the multitude of musicians not even just in in the new album but that you've worked with that maybe was the most intimidating you know i, I look at the likes of bet mittler and think i can't fathom playing the rose for bed <laughs> you know <laughs> certain things like that um was there any point in your career where you said okay this is the one that i can do this i could play anything you know aside from maybe playing new york new york for frank sinatra was there something <laughs> that that uh you know where you said okay this is it nothing is going to phase me now Oh no no! I mean every every single one. I mean was it was so, um, yeah. Just I mean I felt like it was my first time being in the studio again. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it just uh, but it's amazing. You know, like of course, yeah. Like trying to, you know, trying to back up, you know, uh, Bette Midler on the Rose or like Willie Nelson on you know Stardust. Yeah. I mean these are iconic. Not just iconic artists, but these are their iconic songs, right? So yeah, it's, it, yeah. It was. Um, I mean, my I was I was shaking. I mean, my hands were like shaking, and you know, and and in some of those cases, right? You don't want to you don't want to waste their time, so you want to make sure you're yeah. prepared. You know, you want to seem somewhat professional, and you want to go in there and be able to, to nail your part because everything was played live. So we're we're live together. So if if they get the if they get the perfect take, but my my take is under par, you know, then they're not going to want to do it again just because of me, right? So I have to make sure that, you know, I I, I played it, um, uh, you know, as, as the best that I I could with every take, um, and then you know there was a with with Lucas Nelson, you know, Lucas is an amazing musician. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there there was a couple the the, the um, you know, there the song that that, that we played uh, together is a song that that he wrote, um, and um, I remember, you know, we did the first take. I mean, the, the it was the first time we played together, and we just we're like, all right, let's go for it, and we went for it. He sang it and played his guitar part perfectly, and I, I had a couple of flubs. So I was like, oh, Lucas, I'm <laughs> so sorry. So your part was perfect, but you know, because we're we're playing live with the open mics. You know, my my part bleeds into his mic. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, I'm like, can we do it one more time? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. We took a second take, and he played it perfect, sang it perfect again. And I had one little trip up on my on my solo. So I was like, oh Lucas, you're gonna kill me, but would you mind doing it one more time? So that was that was the one. But he was so cool about it. He was like, "Oh man, we'll die. I can do this all day." So, but every take he took, you know, we ended up doing three takes. But every, all three of his takes was absolutely perfect. I mean, yeah. his intonation, his guitar playing. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, he's like he's just a machine, you know. Yeah. It's, so, so that was that was really cool. You yeah. know, he's one of a handful of musicians that I I. I so thankful that are you know coming into their own you know so that there's a you know future generations of that kind of music uh, just an amazing guy and, and, and a great yeah. guy um over the last i don't know even how many years exactly but there's probably been a little more i would say hip factor for lack of a better term on the ukulele with the likes of taylor swift billy eilish had a you know a signature edition you know, from Fender, does that, did any of that kind of cause a little bit of maybe more interest in your work, you know, as people kind of maybe discovered the instrument? Oh, yeah, no, I, 
I'm so grateful for artists like that, you know, like, I mean, I mean, that's huge. You know, when Billie Eilish picks up the ukulele or Taylor Swift, I mean, you know, I remember when, when Paul McCartney was using it in, on his tour, um, uh, who else was, um, another big one was, um, well, of course, you know, when Israel did the Over the Rainbow and it, it appeared in all those soundtracks and yeah. the, and those commercials and all that, I mean, that was huge for the ukulele, you know, it was such a proud moment. And then I think the the, the next big one was when Train, you know, recorded that song, Hey Soul Sister. That yeah. was such a huge hit. And, you know, and everyone was like, oh my goodness, that's an ukulele. Like, I remember when I first heard it on the radio, I mean, I I was driving in my car and I had to pull over because I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know, just in a mainstream pop tune like that. I mean, number one song, you know, I just, it was, it was a great moment, you know, for the ukulele. So, yeah, so, yeah, it, so seeing, um, seeing all these, all the, oh, and Eddie Vedder, right? He did that yeah. whole, he did a whole album of just his voice and the ukulele. So I think when people, when people see that and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, I mean, it just inspires like a whole generation, like people who would never buy an ukulele record or would never listen to an, an, an ukulele song, you know, if, if they hear someone like Eddie Vedder do it or, you know, or like Taylor Swift or Billie Eilish, and they're like, oh man, the ukulele is so cool. Right? That's, so, yeah, it's it's kind yeah, of a, a cool I, factor. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I have mm-hmm. to, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention Jason Mraz. Um, with his hit, oh yeah, yeah. that that song I know influenced a couple of people in particular, and it didn't hurt when Fender made that really cool one with the with kind of Telecaster headstock. That that sold me. I didn't even yeah, know how to play yeah. it, and I had to buy one. Like I need that. It looks so cool, yeah. and I got it home and had no idea how to tune it. So, it was, but uh, well, I want to <laughs> want to thank you so much, Jake. You're going to be coming in uh, to do a show at the Oaks. Uh, ought to be a great night. I think people really will enjoy it. It's the 11th of October. Um, do you have a street date for the End Friends album? Yes, uh, November 12th. Okay, so just about two months away. That'll be fantastic. I've had a chance to go through it. It's such an amazing collection, and I, and I really enjoy, I think, the fact that, you know, especially in the worlds of Spotify, where, where somebody may not be aware of what you do, and just, a, you know, a huge fan of whomever, on the record and there's so many great guests that you are going to come across this and go wow these are you know some amazing songs and some amazing songs reimagined um really hopefully will shine a really bright light on your career and your work so i wish you all the best with that man oh thank you thanks very much i really appreciate the support and you know and thank you for the kind words and yeah I, I just you know i'm just so grateful that we're making music again and you know we're actually um, back at it, you know, yeah. uh, playing in front of live audiences, and it's I, I'm just so grateful, and it's been such a such a joy. So thank thank you so much. All right, thank you to Jake Shima Bukuro uh, again. Jake and Friends comes out on the 12th of November, but he'll be at the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, on the 11th. So check that out. Maybe stop at the Oakmont Bakery, grab yourself something good to eat uh, before you head to the show. Uh, fantastic stuff ought to be a really neat night of music so we're going to turn our attention now to a band out of new york city unfortunately this is the one band on the show that is not on their way to pittsburgh uh, the band is called station uh they're out of new york city and this is um, not their first album but the first one that i personally had had caught my attention the, the album is called perspectives it's out on the 8th of october 
uh, reminded me of, of a little of music that kind of came out in the late 80s, early 90s. Almost like a Bad English, uh, Danger Danger, Alias, some of those bands that, that wasn't necessarily hair metal, but had rock-influenced melodic songs, you know. And I think if you listen to the band, it'll kind of take you back to that place. So we had a chance to talk to Patrick Kearney of the band. Uh, he's the singer, an amazing uh, vocalist, and I think you're really going to be impressed with this stuff. So give it a listen. Uh, this is Patrick of Station. All this time just to run away, breaking out from where you stand. And every turn there's another City Rocks. We have on the line from Station, Patrick Carney. How are you doing today? Good. I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. Um, your band kind of came across my desk and caught my ear instantly. Um, you guys are out of New York City, but you're... you're um, when when you're doing the kind of music you do, is this something that, that was kind of easy to get over with audiences in that area? Um, well, you know, it's funny. Yes, yes and no. Um, the reason why no is because, uh, New York City is, in general, it's just a, it's a tough place to do, uh, really anything because, uh, you're, you're really, your competition in New York City is crazy because if you're trying to get people to go out to your shows or whatever, it's like, you know, you have, other bands, you have Broadway, you have bars and restaurants, you know, you literally have so much competition. So it's not necessarily easy to, you know, market yourself effectively because you're like just trying to compete with everybody. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, what has been really cool is that everybody who has come to our shows uh, over the years, have, they become fans, like they're converted. So they're like, you know, it's a little bit easier the next time and the next time. And and now I feel like we've um, amassed a great following in New York uh, and all over the world, which is really cool. But like New York specifically, it's kind of like it, it took a while to crack that nut, but we finally did crack it, you know. Yeah. And they do say if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Um, but, yeah, I, I listened to that. And I was like, you know, I, I wondered in, in, a, in an area with with so much to choose from, quite honestly, and you hear about, you know, rumors of how cynical an audience can be there that if it, you know it was tough to to kind of stand out to get noticed um were, were you guys originally from the city well, or, or was it did you immigrate to new york well, city? we all we all yeah a little bit we we all immigrated uh more or less uh um uh chris is from long island originally uh i'm from upstate and okay. connecticut i moved around when i was a bunch and and chris and i uh we met while we were in New York, uh, okay. and then that's where Emmy is living right now. And uh, uh, Tony's the only weird one because he he used to live in Jersey, and he you know was playing with us. It was a lot easier. And then he now he moved to Boston, so uh, little little coordination required now for rehearsals and practices and sure. things like that. But still, 
you know, still manageable. <laughs> yeah, it, it is amazing with technology. I mean, you look at, at some of the the albums you get from artists and, and who will admittedly say, no, we didn't get together to make this album. You know, you get these kind of all-star sort of, you know, hard rock, melodic rock, metal albums where, the you know, one guy's in California, two of them are in Nashville, um, and you make it work. Um, that's kind of the, the, the beauty of, of the technological era. But it's also the same thing that makes it difficult for, for any band to really stick out, you know, when you um, when you look at just the, the sheer volume of bands that have the ability to reach out and get exposure. I think it makes it harder for all of you, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, I can. I mean, at the end of the day, though, I think what what's cool is that our, our core hmm. has always been... Uh, you know, we've been together for so long now. We've, we're well rehearsed, like all the time. We, when we get together, it's it's almost a, a matter of execution rather than you know making sure that we have chemistry because sure. the chemistry that we've all shared throughout the years has been fundamental to the band staying together and continuing to sound great. And uh, and there are certain. Th- I mean, when we did the the latest record, you know, we've done all our records. You know, we, we're still all together you know mm. we don't we don't like have one guy recorded his studio and another guy recorded his we, we pretty much try to stay together as much as possible for all of that because you know there is sort of an x factor that when you're recording it's you know having everybody in the room and have their take on things it's still something about it that even if you can do it separately it's like well but why you know mm. like you should let's we, we know that the product comes out so much better when we're together so let's let's stay together <laughs> do you guys I, I noticed like going back to like 2013 when you guys did um i'm not sure if that was your first album but the first one that i was aware of was was uh, wired um you know you guys oh yeah you for guys yep. you guys kind of do a lot of of you know the you're even like your your previous album where you guys are kind of doing the production and the engineering on your own. Is there, are you guys still kind of doing that completely DIY model or? Yeah, for this album, uh, I mean, we we have a couple of studios that we like to use. Um, we did all our drum tracks uh, at West Hall Recording Company uh, uh-huh. on Long Island, and uh, we did uh, most of the vocal tracks there as well. Um, believe it or not, because we didn't really do that for the last record. The last record, we did it all at Chris's studio, all the vocals at Chris's studio. But um, during the pandemic, we just kind of found it with, like, you know, trying to be safe and record an album is very difficult. Sure. (laughs) So uh, when when we were going through it, we kind of realized, you know what, I think there's a little bit of something missing, you know, here. Let's Let's see... If um, Anthony Lopardo and Ray Marte at Westfall, if they can help us out with a couple of things, and we were able to go and, and bang out some tracks, and that was, you know, but everything else is more or less done at, at Chris's studio, and then it was uh, mixed in by uh, Emmy, our bass player, and we kind of found a really good groove. Like, we're really happy with the end results. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, Chris invested so much into his studio and so much uh, time into his own production. Uh, and it just makes it, you know, we're, we're all about, we have so much music, we have so much more music that we want to record, get out there. And 
it's kind of the easiest way to do it. And if you find a groove and it works, you know, it's not broken, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, when the band kind of first started, you know, you guys got together, I mean, unless you've been doing this for 30 years with this line, but I'm guessing, you know, at some point you guys had to have a discussion about how you want to sound, what kind of influences you want to let kind of creep into your music. And, you know, when I listen to to the music, it's not like a lot of what I hear on the radio. You know, probably the closest thing I can think of to, to your music that's new is a parody band like, um, you know, I won't even give them the, the pleasure of mentioning the name of the band uh, because I think they <laughs> spend more time poking fun at the music than they do actually um, recreating it. But um, was this was this kind of a conscious direction you guys went, or is it you guys just kind of found each other because of, you know, the, your passion for this type of music? Because this isn't certainly the you know what you probably heard on the radio ten years ago. Well, no, it's not. I think um, that's that's sort of the beauty of why I think station is special to me mm-hmm. because when we first started. Um, I mean, the, the the type of music this station plays is it is really the sum of all of our parts because uh, I'm definitely the of all the guys in the band I'm definitely the metalhead, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, Chris is like before, he'll tell you like before he's a guitar player he's a songwriter so yeah. he t- draws a lot of influence not just from like you know great guitar players like George Lynch and Neil Sean and whatnot but he also takes it from you know. Paul McCartney and, you know, the Beatles and a lot of great songwriters of, you know, of our day. So when we got together, it was just kind of this interesting blend. We really never had a conversation about what we wanted our music to sound like because we just kind of started playing and we started writing and what came out was very natural. It was very much just like, this sounds good <laughs> yeah. you know like to put it simply it's like this we are happy with what we're creating so we never had to really stop sit have a conversation oh well you're gonna do this or that or the other it's really just like we, we all love this type of music it's what we all grew up with even though we didn't grow up when it was going on yeah uh so well that's that's another you know that's kind of the like by the advent of the internet you know when you think about it it's I was listening to Iron Maiden records and Judas Priest records long after they were out. And my parents are not like metalheads by any means. So having, uh, having that kind of background was really just this cool, I don't know, thing for me. And then finding Chris and when we found each other, like creating what we created, it just, it came out to be, Hey, I like this band. Do you like this band? We both like this band. Let's make it music that yeah draws our influences right but it's nice to hear that it wasn't contrived you know when i think of of a steel panther sometimes i think it it felt a bit you know other than being a satire it was a bit contrived where you guys seem to be coming from a, a different place of hey you know everybody pulls things from influences let's make our music and that just happens to be the the amalgamation of what you guys were influenced by and might i say props to mentioning neil sean as an influence you never hear him mentioned as a guitar influence (laughs) I, i i have interviewed hundreds of musicians and i've never had someone say that neil sean's name and it's 
a crime because I think, you know, it it, it is. You know, oh, it's for sure. I, I think it's that that was uh, well when Chris and I first met. You know, we have uh, you know we kind of have our discussions of like, oh, so what do you listen to? What do you like? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like Neil Sean has always been in Chris's like top five biggest influences as a guitar player and i think it shines through for sure yeah but you know you're kind of right it, it's we're we're poor neil he's he's incredible but you know he just left out of the conversation far too much and happy to put happy to put him back in you know in whatever capacity because he definitely deserves it yeah, I imagine that Neil probably laughs all the way to the bank, though, with his royalty checks, and and you can have have all the praise from every for, for all the shredders. But um, yeah, it, it's cool because you know what, he can still come out. He can still come out in public, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, put his baseball hat on his shades, and and uh, you know people wouldn't necessarily know who he is, but they're all listening to him every day. You know, it's it's amazing. So. Um, it, it's really cool. I know when I listened to to your voice in particular, you reminded me so much of, um, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. I think his name is Tony um, from TNT. Uh, when I heard your voice, oh, I just, yeah, I was like, boy, this this it reminded me almost like if if your album had been the follow up to their Intuition album, uh, it was like you know it really was was right there for me. Um, when you're singing, obviously you you get up there. Um, but not in kind of a, a, a Rob Halford sort of way. Um, your voice, you, you, it seems a little more or less like you're trying to scream as opposed to continue to sing. Um, are you kind of pushing the boundary of, of where you can go, or does your voice go higher than what we hear on some of these songs? Because you get up there. <laughs> yeah, um, well, so I'm, I'm actually classically trained. Um, uh, I studied opera for a very long time, and I... Uh, I can actually, I mean, I can go higher. Like, I've done it on, on past records. Uh, when I when I do that, I think, I think uh, it's kind of funny, and what I really have liked about Station's Evolution over the years is that when I've been singing, a lot of times it was, I was trying to, like, you know, show off and be like, oh, look at how yeah. high I can sing, you know, and, and just try to hit the high notes all the time. And as we sort of, on along, it's been tool that I've used and pulled it out of you know my back pocket for particular songs, but it's not necessarily the the centerfold I think yeah. of of singing for me. And uh, and yeah, and to that point, I, I, I made I've been making a lot of choices when I've been singing. So like you were just saying, like a scream, you know? Yeah. I it, that's actually it was, it was a choice. It's like I I kind of like. To emulate that sound, it's not like I'm straining per se. You right. know, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is how I want to present myself. You know, in this particular song, and I kind of give myself a little bit of, uh, you know, some screaming here, some clean tones here, some falsetto here. You know, I try to mix it up a little bit to serve the song. Yeah, and that... as opposed to just like, you know, ah, I can sing, I can hit high notes. You know, yeah, it. yeah, and I think when I, when I was listening to it, I'm thinking if, if you didn't know what you were doing. This this sounds great now, but I, I wish you well trying to sing this in 20 years because, you know, a lot of the guys who did that stuff, you know, back in, quote, the day, you know, when you try to hear them do it now, it, we better detune a step and a half to even come close. So it's cool that you approach it like that and don't, you know, do it just to do it. And, and you know, I think the same is true 
with Chris's playing where it's it's you can tell he's got extra gears uh, to his playing, but it's not something that it's in your face and takes away from the song. Um, and and that's I think yeah, what makes perfect. such a strong record. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we we have always been a band that has tried to serve the song. It's not to say that you know we we don't exercise our talent as individual musicians on certain tracks. But at the same time, there's kind of no point in just having a track that's like, look how fast Chris can play, look how high I can sing. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, I sing the song back, then you know it's just a exercise and stroking your ego yeah <laughs> not necessarily you know getting music out there that you think people will enjoy yeah and if you don't have some variation to that you know i, I think of certain guitarists and, and i again i won't throw any particular ones under the bus where i've gone to shows and, and you know they're doing incredible guitar shredding at any moment in time but when you look at it for 90 minutes it kind of starts to wear on you as a listener you know because there's yeah. no ebb and flow to it um i think back to to seeing steelheart in, in on their first tour and you know there was a singer who could take you in a lot of different directions so when he did go in that atmospheric sort of register it really kind of took you there as a listener so um you know it's good to have that oh yeah Billy's the best. I mean, he's such a, you know, he's such a talented guy. He's got such uh, amazing range. You know, mm-hmm. I would have, I would have loved to see him that first tour. Yeah. And like, my, like, my mind would have been blown as a, especially as a kid, just being like, I can't believe that I'm seeing this in real life. You know. Yeah. As a, someone who was there, I couldn't believe that I was seeing it because you know it was like he would go up on this register and he could almost feel the wall shake. Um, you know, it was it was it was impressive as heck, and such. But but moreover than that, it, it, instead of just saying he's a, you know, could hit crazy notes, great album. You go back and put that first Steelheart record on, um, one of my favorites yeah. from that era. You know, maybe it wasn't a you know quadruple platinum success, but a really strong. That's a band I think that, you know, if they had done that album two or three years earlier, probably would have been mega stars you know but yeah timing is everything i suppose but anyway your album will be out uh october is it 8th am i getting the date right uh yes okay okay and i I know on your Bandcamp page you can get it on cd will this be available through um any of the other online retailers or streaming services or how, how do you guys distribute yeah we will um we will be available digitally um, on all uh, your standard streaming services. It'll be on Spotify, on Apple Music, uh, iTunes for download. Uh, it's on our Bandcamp page if you want a physical CD. And uh, there are, uh, it hopefully actually will be on a couple of online retailers. It might be on Amazon. So uh, if you have a preferred way of grabbing the disc, you know, grabbing music in general, you know, hopefully chances are we will be there. But uh, you'd love to support the band directly. Band uh, camp page is uh, the way to go, and you can also pick up our other records while you're there and grab the whole station collection, if you will. Awesome, awesome. I know you did you did the um, stained glass album on vinyl. Do you guys intend to do? I realize that's probably not a cheap endeavor to get into having this produced on vinyl, but do you intend to do that on vinyl? 
Well, uh, I never say never, but we did not go into the release with the intention of it being on vinyl. And the okay. reason why uh, is not, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's just time at this point because all of the record printing plants are so backed up. They were telling us that uh, it probably wouldn't be available for uh, about a year. Uh. Like that's how, that's how backed up they were. So we were kind of like, well, you know, it's I mean, you're not you're right. It's not a cheap endeavor, but at the same time, you're like, well, a, a year later to have it on vinyl. You probably have so another album, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're hoping to have, we are hoping to have another album, if not more, uh, by then. So, but like I said, never say never. We uh, have talked about even doing some past releases on printing it on vinyl. So it's it's very very feasible. We just haven't quite gotten to that point yet but yeah. we're looking into it you've got to get in line at the plant behind, <laughs> get in line behind <laughs> seven yeah. Taylor Swift albums that are on, <laughs> in production right now <laughs> exactly alright well thank you uh, so much again the album um, Perspective will be available on the 8th um, I'm assuming you guys will be doing some some shows in the New York City area. Any talk of of kind of coming outside the New York area, Patrick, to do some shows, or is kind of wait and see with the? Yeah, we are. We're, we're well. It's a little bit of uh, it's not necessarily wait and see. Uh, we are trying to uh, plan for a, a spring 2022 tour, so uh, we'll be announcing dates for that. Hopefully. Uh, shortly after the album is released. We definitely want to get out there. Obviously, it's you know, still kind of up in the air time with COVID, but uh, at the same time, we are itching to play. We're really excited to get back out on the road and want to come see all our fans around the country. So uh, hopefully Pittsburgh will be a, a stop on that. We've played Pittsburgh before. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So we're uh, trying to get back everywhere that we possibly Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, man, and we'll talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. All right, that about wraps it up. A big thank you to all our guests, Patrick of Station, Jake Shima Bukuro, uh, the amazing ukulele player, and also Davey Knowles, an amazing guitarist. Uh, appreciate them all coming on the show. Station's new album will be out almost by the time you hear this episode. Jake's new album will be out the 12th of November. He'll be in town on the 11th of October. And Davey will be in town on the 12th of October. His new album will be out later in October on the 22nd. So I want to thank you for listening so much. You can head over to our website, ironcityrocks.com. Go to the show notes. I'll have links to all of these albums, all the artists' websites. Uh, You can get information on the gigs if you caught your attention or something you liked. You can also contact us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We are on all social medias at forward slash Iron City Rocks. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen.